In this episode, we speak with Katie Storer, a managing director with Blackstone Growth. Katie was recently recognized by GrowthCap as a top woman leader in growth investing of 2023. Katie focuses on investments in the consumer sector and was a leader of the all-female investment team for Spanx, the revolutionary women's wear brand founded by Sarah Blakely. Katie has also been a leader in BXG's Talent and Development Committee, which focuses on the growth of employees and cultivating that pool of talent. Blackstone Growth is Blackstone's dedicated growth equity investing platform. It is backed by the scale, operating expertise, and global reach of the world's largest alternative asset manager. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Katie, great to be with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, RJ. Great to be here. Excited about it. So I'm going to start off in a unique place, and that is W&L. And I want to start there because I happen to know quite a few people who have been very successful in the finance and investing arena that went to W&L. Can you tell us about the program there and your general insights into W&L and maybe why it's been able to kind of produce so many successful graduates? Oh, I love the starting point. And I'm glad that you are connected to a number of great WNL grads. We're a small but mighty force in the city and the world of finance in particular. And so I think that creates great connectivity from an alumni base, which has been really good to see. So when I went to WNL and what I really appreciated about the education was that I wanted the liberal arts experience, but I also wanted an undergraduate business program. And at the time, WNL was actually the only liberal arts school that also had an undergrad business program. And so the pairing of those was very compelling to me. And so I feel like I got a mix of both worlds where I got the the basic business education, but I also got more of a diversified academic experience as well. It's also just a really small, tight-knit community. I think close to half of the student body are also athletes, and there's a lot of people who are good at a lot of different things. And so I met a lot of uh, really impressive people, and it's been great. You know, and then from WNL, your resume reads like it was a very straightforward path, and you ended up at, you know, some of the premier institutions. What do you think it is that enabled you to, in sequence, go to all these fantastic places and advance your career? Well, I appreciate that, and that's nice of you to say. I think it's been uh, less planned than the resume might look like now. When I was first starting in investment banking, I didn't do an investment banking internship. And so I had to be a little bit scrappier to get the full-time job. I think my timing was also somewhat fortuitous in that I came out in a year that the intern classes were relatively small because of the economic crisis. And then um, there was more of a need for full-time investment banking analysts. So that was fortuitous in my timing, but I didn't kind of start out on the path that you might think you need to. But then I got the first investment banking analyst job really through uh, the WNL network. And then from there decided that I wanted to go to the buy side. I started at a smaller mid-market firm and had a great experience there. Decided the business school was the right next move for me to think about expanding my network beyond the smaller liberal arts education. 
And then from there, it was really about thinking around the variables that were most important to me as I was really intentional about the career choice coming out of business school and being sector specific was uh, around the top of my list. And so I think there's this constant debate of, do you want to be the breadth versus depth argument? Do you want to be a jack of all trades and more of a generalist, or do you want to have more of that sector expertise? And I opted for the latter. Um, I've spent my entire career in consumer and retail consumer primarily. And so that was the first thing I was looking for coming out of business school. I honestly didn't think that uh, bulge bracket uh, private equity or big buyout was necessarily the right fit for me, but I met all of the, the folks at Carlisle and really headed off with them. And I thought it was a great group of people. And then ultimately made the move to Blackstone um, to join BXG about three years ago, shortly after BXG was launched as we were a new strategy in business within Blackstone, which we can talk a little bit about. But the genesis there was that within consumer, I really felt like the opportunity for finding new investments and, and thinking about building a platform was better suited towards more of a growth equity asset class. Mm -hmm. One of the areas I'd like to go into is, is talent and, and development. And I know that's an area that you're involved with at Blackstone, you know, was fortunate. I had the opportunity to, to chat with John Korngold on this podcast a couple of times and, you know, I've spent some time with him. And he's a wonderful guy. You know, I think he's very thoughtful. My personal interactions with him, you know, he strikes me as someone who is really thinking about, you know, the other person is, is holistic in the way he thinks about things. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the culture at Blackstone growth and, and maybe the broader institution? Yeah, you're spot on about John. He's an incredibly thoughtful person. And I think that then trickles down into the team and how we think about training and development because What's unique about BXG, and I reference BXG through all of our acronyms, but that's Blackstone Growth Equity, so the group that John sits over top. But what's really exciting for me about being part of this team is the balance of being able to be really entrepreneurial and scrappy and creative because we're effectively building a new business uh, within Blackstone, but we're able to do it as part of the world's largest alternative asset manager. And that creates incredible advantage to us as investors, but also to the businesses and teams that we're investing behind. But that also means that we're building a new culture within Blackstone. And so there are elements of the firm that are very established that we are drawing from in a way that really benefits our team. But then there are also elements where we're building something new and thinking about processes and investments in a different way than maybe the firm has thought about them in the past. And what I think is also really interesting about our team is that over the last four years, we've grown to, uh, I believe, just over 40 investment professionals across five sectors. So we spend time across consumer, where I spend most of my time, consumer technology, healthcare, financial services, and enterprise software. And we have folks who came from traditional growth equity. We have people who came from earlier stage growth and venture. I personally came from more of the traditional buyout background. And so bringing those skill sets together and bringing the best of each of those environments to define what is uniquely BXG has been what I think has set apart our, our culture and our business building um, because we've been able to kind of bring the best of breed into our group. Now let's head into consumer. It's always an exciting area for me to talk about because I mostly spend time talking to folks in the tech space. And so consumer is kind of like a, a breath of fresh air and there's brands that people know about. So it's kind of nice to, to talk about those. And you are currently involved with Spanx and Supergoop. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe an update on, on how those investments are going? And then also, you know, what you're most excited about in the consumer space? 
Great question. Yes. And we'll mix it up a little bit on the consumer topics. So uh, you're right. I spend most of my time on the portfolio side with our investments in Spence and Supergoop. We invested in both of those businesses in late 2021. So we are not even two years in, but coming up on kind of the two-year mark. And the stories are very similar, but different. When we invested in both of those businesses, we saw really great brands and products in particular. I'll tie that back to the second part of your question around where we're most excited, but also real opportunity for Blackstone to help accelerate growth in a way that we thought was pretty unique. So you think about the reason for Blackstone growth to exist. I think about it as the ability to partner these businesses and management teams and entrepreneurs with the resources that Blackstone as a firm has built because of our scale. And so we have a portfolio operations team that have a lot of functional areas of expertise. So that's a talent development team. It's a brand strategy and transformation team. We have a procurement team that helps with FedEx savings. We're one of the largest owners of global logistics platforms. And so when we're thinking about new investments, I want there to be a real reason for Blackstone to be the right home for that business. And so that's what we look for in Spanx and Supergoop and really what we could do differently. So over the last two years, the businesses have both continued to do really well. And we've been able to set forth a couple of the initiatives that we identified early on and happy to touch on those. But I want to make sure to, to hit on the second part of your question around what's exciting in consumer, because this is also where I'm spending so much of my time. And and some of it is similar. And then if we were talking in 2020 or 2021, and some of it changes based on the macro conditions, because I think the conditions today are very different than when I joined Blackstone. And so what we've been trying to focus on is the consistency and strategy and the non-negotiables. And so we're thinking about investing behind that next generation of household brands. I very much believe that what it takes to build a brand today is fundamentally different than in years past. The barriers to entry are lower. And you think about the ability to open a Shopify account or sell products on Amazon. You can do that from a garage. But at the same time, you pair that with the consumer has really high expectations for the brands and the products that they're buying. And so we think about trying to find those category creating brands that really define their respective markets and can be category killers. So I think about Supergoop to Sun Care, Spanx to Shapewear, although uh, they do so much more than just shapewear today. In a lot of ways, they become synonymous with the category. And they have a lot of embedded value in this combination of extremely high quality products, first and foremost, but also a really passionate and loyal consumer base that develop an emotional connection to the brand. So I think about Supergoop that has been first of its kind across a number of form factors and sun care products. So unseen sunscreen uh, is this really beautiful kind of velvety clear product that works across skin tones. And it was the first market of that type of product, first market in sun care mousse, et cetera. But you also pair that with the fact that they've built a brand that has pretty amazing resonance across its consumer base. So then I think about areas today we're most excited about, and a lot of that is trying to identify these irreversible societal cultural shifts that are happening, whether that's better for you foods, it's growth of e-commerce, it's the idea of protecting your skin in a better way, and then finding businesses that have that established loyal customer relationship and can sustain through any economic environment. 
because today, more than ever, we think there's this kind of trade-off happening within consumer spending. And oftentimes we think about it as a barbell, but consumers have to make tough decisions around where they spend their wallet share. And so we see a lot of consumers trading down in categories that may be less important to them personally so that they can save up and spend in categories of products that are more important to them. So effectively, with a capped amount of spend, how are you making these trade-offs as a consumer? What's most important to you? And we really want to invest in those businesses that people are willing to trade up for. And I very much believe that Spangs and Supergoop exhibit all of those kind of product first, but also product and brand elements. Yeah, related to food, and, and this may be getting a little bit too specific, but I remember when the trend first came about for plant-based food and, and healthier eating, and there was all the, the buzz around Impossible and Beyond Meat. Is that still happening? Are there still tailwinds there, or is it fizzling out? It's a great question, and it's uh, within the food space, it's a big topic of conversation. My own personal view is that there are long-term tailwinds there, but there are a lot of questions that still need to be figured out on whether those models work. So I mentioned all of these great things about where we're focused, product, consumer, et cetera. The business model, first and foremost, needs to work. And I don't want to imply that, that some of them don't, but I think we're still in early innings on the business model aspects of plant-based. And so as we think about consistently what makes a great BXG deal, it's a scaled equity check and it's unit economics that work. And so I think about gross margin. I think about profitability. A lot of the businesses and often most of the businesses we invest in or are looking at are profitable. And that's really important to prove that the model really works. So with plant-based, I just think it's early innings. I think there are a lot of tailwinds there long-term, but there are also some of the business model and cost challenges that still need to be thought through. I'd like to ask, you what you think makes for a great growth investor, or you know, we could just say investor. You've been part of two amazing institutions, you know, Carlisle and Blackstone, and you probably have some insights. You've probably interacted with quite frequently and and in depth with folks that are at the top of their field. What do you think it is that makes for a great investor? It's such a good question. I have been very fortunate to work with a lot of really smart people. And I always think what makes a good mentee is the ability to learn from different people and emulate different parts of people that you work with. But if I think about consistent threads across a lot of the people that I've been fortunate to work with and that I respect a lot and, and some of whom you know uh, and have spoken with, like you mentioned, if I had to boil it down to one, it's an insatiable curiosity. And just this eagerness to learn because you never know where the next deal will come from or where the next investment opportunity will come from. I think it's especially true within growth. It might be that you read a great article and at the bottom of that article, a founder mentioned a company that they look up to. We researched that company. Is there a thread there? Or people who are quoted in various articles around industry trends that I think are particularly relevant. Then we immediately think about reaching out to those companies because they're clearly doing something interesting. You have conversations there. You learn something interesting. Maybe you hear another company referenced. You reach out to them. And I think it's all about connecting dots and being really curious to learn about those trends and find where the next node might come from. But it does take a, a kind of scrappy curiosity. And I think a lot of people within our team today have that. You know, we're coming up on time and I have a couple questions I like to close with. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? Oh, this is such a good one. And it's very humanizing. I like that you asked this question. 
I probably have a 10-way tie for the most influential, so I may have to cheat and name more than one. But I kind of alluded to this in one of the prior questions, but I've been really fortunate in my career to work with and for a few amazing women in the industry. I think that's saying a lot because the world of senior women becomes pretty small pretty quickly. I think I've been uniquely fortunate in that. There are two women I worked with uh, in my prior role, Sandra Horbach and Anita Balaji, and one today who I spend a lot of my time with, Ann Chung. And each of them has individually shown me that it's really possible to be incredibly successful professionally, but also to be great moms. And I don't think there's such a thing as really balancing this career path on an everyday basis, but they've done a really amazing job. And uh, it's been impactful to my career to be able to see that and work with them. I do have to probably also say uh, family. I think that work ethic and humility are two of the greatest traits that someone can have. My parents have exhibited that more than anyone I know, and they've always sought to instill that in our family. So I think it's pretty important, especially in our fast-paced world these days. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to someone, maybe, you know, another woman that's early in her career in the finance and investing space? Is, Is there like a little insight you could drop that that could be helpful to someone listening out there? There's no formula for how to make this career work long-term. And I think it's a lot of figuring it out along the way. I think it's being curious and I think it's seeking out mentors along the way and also figuring out your own style. I think there's a lot of learnings from, hey, I worked with this person on a deal. I really liked that they did this. Let me see if I can do that more in my everyday communication style or whatever it may be. And then you work with someone else the next month and you do the same thing. And then finding out ways to do that in a style that is uniquely yours, but finding as many people as you can to learn from. And I think just being hungry to learn and putting yourself in as many of those situations as you can. I think one of the things I miss from the pre-Zoom days is when you could sit in someone's office and mute the phone and hear their perspectives on negotiating point or learn from them in that way. That doesn't really happen on Zoom anymore, but finding ways to get those learnings that don't necessarily happen in the most formal settings. Great. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you are passionate about? Yes, definitely. Another good one. I am on the board of an organization called Delivering Good. I just joined earlier this year. It's an organization that was introduced to me through John Korngold, who you know, who leads BXG. And it's a pretty amazing group. They connect individuals in need to new products that are donated from companies through a network of close to 800 community partners across the country. And so I think over the last 37 years, Delivering Good has distributed more than $3 billion worth of new products. So whether that's clothing, accessories, books, toys, but really bringing new product to people in need. And so that's been really fulfilling for me to be part of that organization this year. And they're doing a lot of really interesting things. Excellent. Well, Katie, I want to thank you again for taking the time to chat with us today. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Great. Thank you, RJ. 